If you will find your seats. As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Ezra, Ezra chapter 3. I want to begin this morning by talking a little football, a little Gainesville football. But it's not what you think. It's not what you think. Go Gators. Let's just go to prayer for that poor lady. I want to talk about Gainesville State. Gainesville State in Texas. And probably one of the most unusual football games that was ever played. Played just last month between Grapevine Faith versus Gainesville State School. Faith's uh, head football coach, Chris Hogan, wanted to do something special for Gainesville State, a maximum security correctional facility. So I know it's confusing. You think Gainesville Correctional Facility, it's similar, but. The team was 0-9 and had 14 players. And so the coach emailed and asked some of the uh, parents of his team to cheer for the other team by name. One of the best writers of our, our time uh, works for uh, ESPN Magazine, uh, Rick Riley for years, Sports Illustrated. And he wrote about that game. And I would like you to read, I'm going to read to you, I'd like you to hear an uh, article about this incredible football game. They played the oddest game in high school football history last month in Grapevine, Texas. It was Grapevine Faith versus Gainesville State School, and everything about it was upside down. For instance, when Gainesville came out to take the field, the Faith fans made a 40-yard sprint line for them to run through. Did you hear that? The other team's fans. They even made a banner for the players to crash through at the end. It said, go Tornadoes, which is also weird, because faith is the lions. It was rivers running uphill and cats petting dogs. More than 200 faith fans sat on the Gainesville side and kept cheering the Gainesville players on. By name. I never in my life thought I'd hear people cheering for us to hit their kids, recalled... Gainesville quarterback and middle linebacker. When you have 14 kids, you play both sides. Isaiah. I wouldn't expect another parent to tell somebody to hit their kid, but they wanted us to. And even though Faith walloped them 33-14, to the Gainesville kids were so happy that after the game, they gave head coach Mark Williams a sideline squirt bottle shower like they just won the state title. Got to be the first Gatorade bath in the history of an 0-9 coach. But then you saw the 12 uniformed officers escorting the 14 Gainesville players off the field. And 2-2 and started to make 4. They lined the players up in groups of 5, handcuffs in their, ready in their back pockets, and marched them to the team bus. That's because Gainesville is a maximum security correctional facility 75 miles north of Dallas. Every game it plays, it's on the road. This all started when Faith head coach Chris Hogan wanted to do something kind for the Gainesville team. 
Faith had never played Gainesville, but he already knew the score. After all, Faith was 7-2 going into the game. Gainesville 0-8 with just two TDs all year. Faith had 70 kids, 11 coaches, the latest equipment, and involved parents. Gainesville has a lot of kids with convictions for drugs, assault, and robbery, many whose families have disowned them, wearing seven-year-old shoulder pads and ancient helmets. So Hogan had an idea. What if half of our fans, for one night only, cheered for the other team? He sent out an email asking the faithful to do just that. Here's the message I want you to send, Hogan wrote, that you are just as valuable as any other person on planet Earth. Some people were naturally confused. One player walked into Hogan's office and asked, Coach, why are you doing this? And Hogan said, imagine if you didn't have a home life. Imagine if everybody had pretty much given up on you. Now imagine what it would mean for hundreds of people to suddenly believe in you. Next thing you know, the Gainesville Tornadoes were turning around on their bench to see something they never had before. Hundreds of fans and actual cheerleaders. I thought maybe they were confused, said Alex, a Gainesville lineman. Only first names were released by the prison. They started yelling, defense, when their team had the ball. I said, what? Why? They're cheering for us. It was a, change, a strange experience for boys who most people cross the street to avoid. We can tell people are a little afraid of us when we come to the game, said Gerald, a lineman who will wind up doing more than three years. You can see it in their eyes. They're looking at us like we were criminals. But these people, they were yelling for us by our names. Maybe it figures that Gainesville played better than it had all season, scoring the game's last two touchdowns. Of course, this might be because Hogan put his third-string nose guard at safety and his third-string quarterback at defensive end. Still, after the game, both teams gathered in the middle of the field to pray. And that's when Isaiah, remember he's the quarterback and middle linebacker, surprised everybody by asking to lead. We had no idea what the kid was going to say, remembers Coach Hogan. But Isaiah said this, Lord, I don't know how this happened, so I don't know how to say thank you. But I never would have known there were so many people in the world that cared about us. And it was a good thing that everybody's head was bowed because they might have seen Hogan wiping away tears. As the tornadoes walked back to their bus under guard, they each were handed a bag for the ride home. A burger, some fries, a soda, some candy, a Bible, an encouraging letter from the faith player. The Gainesville coach saw Hogan, grabbed him hard by the shoulder and said, you will never know what your people did for these kids tonight. You will never, ever know. As the bus pulled away, all the Gainesville players crammed to one side and pressed their hands to the window, staring at the people they'd never met before, watching their waves and smiles disappearing into the night. Anyway, with the economy six feet under, isn't it nice to know that one of the best presents you can still give is absolutely free? And that is hope. Isn't that an incredible story? Isn't that an incredible story of faith, an incredible story of how Christians should be and how they should act. 
what an incredible game where there had to be confusion of what the roar of the crowd was like. Confusion at both sides having fans cheering. Well, that's my hope and prayer for this church is that we'll be a kind of people that will be a kind of church that people simply are amazed with. Not because of us. Listen, we're broken sinners. we got nothing more to offer the world than what they have, except for Jesus. But when Jesus comes and He changes our life from the inside out and He reminds us of who we are and He fills us with His identity and He robes us with His Son's righteousness, then we truly are the light of the world. Then we are a city on a hill that can't be hidden. Then we are the change agents that God is calling us to be. Wouldn't it be wonderful, Orange, would dream with me if our community felt about us the way that community feels about that football team in Grapeville? Faith, Lions. May that faith reign deeply inside of us. What a commotion it must have been at the game. We're going to look at another commotion, kind of an interesting commotion in the book of Ezra. Ezra, we find after 2 Chronicles, if you turn in your Bibles, you can look around Psalms and start going back to the beginning of a few books. It's a story of the temple of God being rebuilt. And the foundation is being laid. And we're going to look at this like the foundation of our lives and the foundation of our church. Because this Sunday, we're going to look again at Orangewood and in our own hearts and say, what kind of foundation are we building on? And in Ezra's day, there was some great cheering and there was some great weeping. And we're going to discover why. Just like at that crowd at that football game, there was an unusual sound. There's an unusual sound coming out of this morning's text. So turn me to Ezra. We're going to look at Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. And then we're going to skip to chapter 7 and look at verse 10. But let's be mindful that whether we're in the Old Testament, the New Testament whether we're in chapter 3 or chapter 7, this is God's Word. It's holy. It's without error. It's useful. It'll build us up. God has given us this Word. It's living and it's active. And it'll point us to Him. Ezra 3, verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, and remember, it had been destroyed. They'd been in exile. They're now returning. And they're building the temple of the Lord. The priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. Listen. And all the people shouted, with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and head of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, that first temple, they wept aloud with a voice, with a loud voice, when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud, for joy. So the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout and the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Ezra 7, verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart 
For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. He had set his heart to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Let us pray. And Father God, we ask that the Spirit of the living God would come with such power and such authority that You would change our lives again today. That God, You'd be pleased to speak through a broken sinner who has the propensity to build his life on the wrong foundation. That Father, that You'd give us ears, unique ears, to hear not my voice, but to hear Your voice. That You would come and through the power of the Holy Spirit, You would illumine our minds to understand Your Word. That God, like Ezra, that we would fix our hearts upon Your Word. Upon just not hearing it, but doing it. And teaching it. And as, you te- as we teach Your statues, may You give us feet that walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel. That we truly can walk with You and walk our talk. And so that this world would see our deeds and praise Your name because You're God and You're good and You deserve all glory. So come and glorify Yourself afresh this morning. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. How is it with your life? What foundation are you building your life upon? What's at the bedrock of all that you do? What's at the bedrock of who you are? Does it produce great joy? Does it produce worship of a true and living God? Or does that foundation of your life, I mean really when, when no one else can seize and the reality of what you know and who you are, does it produce weeping for what you're not? Weeping for what your life is being built on. It's a question that that I ask continually about our church as well. What kind of foundation are we building all of our ministries upon? Why are we doing the things we do? Is it truly for, as our motto says, for Christ and His kingdom? In reality, realizing it's not about us. I met with a man this week. Uh, We've committed to meet together for the next several weeks. It's a a man that I met doing a uh, memorial service for a lady who passed away at 53 years of age. And through the words at the memorial service and looking at a foundation and realizing what really are we building our lives on, God pierced his heart. He started to examine. He says, the outside world knows a lot about me and I'm very, very successful out there. But inside the foundation, it's really kind of a house of cards. I knew exactly what he was talking about because any foundation apart from Jesus Christ, the only rock, the only true foundation, no matter what it is, any other foundation, as Scripture says, is sinking sand. Anything we build our life upon, anything, our families, our jobs, our money, our security, anything that we build as a bedrock apart from Christ is going to crumble. It's all a house of cards. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 7. I, I quote this every wedding I do. It talks about a wise man and a foolish man. It says that both wise man and a foolish man had some commonality. They both heard God's word. 
But the wise man did something different. He not only heard God's Word, he applied God's Word to his life. He built his life upon that. And that Word and upon Christ, the solid rock. And he stood. Another commonality they both had is the foolish man heard and he just went about life his own way. He didn't really build his life on Christ. But interestingly enough, both the wise man and the foolish man, the believer and the non-believer, both of them endured the rains and the floods of life. We need to know that building on Christ a solid rock does not preclude us from difficulty and suffering. That does not preclude us from the difficulties of life. I mean, I can't help but see my brother, Scott Alexander, and the battle he has been through. A faithful, loving man of God and family. And the, and, the, and the storms have battered him. But he stands upon Christ. And truly, he will continue to stand. What kind of foundation are we building our lives upon? If you're not building upon the foundation of Christ, there will be weeping. Why was there rejoicing in Ezra's day? Because the temple was so significant to them. As we read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we find something unbelievable about God. He wants to be with us. Our God loves us, has made us in His image, but He's made us for a relationship with Him. That first temple that God placed us in was called Paradise, a Garden of Eden. But we messed it up. We, we, we stained it. We soiled it. We, we sinned and we rebelled against God. And He drove us from His presence. But God is so merciful and He leads with mercy and He doesn't give up on sinners like us. And so what did He do? He pursued us. And even when God's people were finally freed from slavery of Egypt and they were in the desert heading to the promised land and they were living in tents. Do you know what God says? I want to live in a tent too because I want to be with my people. Build me a tabernacle. And when they entered the promised land and they had their own homes, God says, I want to be with you as well. Build me a temple. And there, that tabernacle and in that temple, I'm going to place my name. I'm going to place my presence. It's going to be a place of worship and it's going to be a place of sacrifice. But that temple got destroyed because we kept on sinning. And Jesus himself came as the ultimate tabernacle, the ultimate temple. God himself came to us. And it says this, the word of God, who was God, that's Jesus, he became flesh. And you ready for this? It says this, he pitched a tent, he tabernacled, he lived with us, he took on flesh. So that he could be with us and we can be with him. And now when we embrace Jesus Christ as Savior, something amazing happens. We become the temple of God. We become the place that's uniquely God's presence. We become the place where God uniquely places His name. We become the place of God's worship and sacrifice. It's amazing. 1 Corinthians 6.19 tells us that, Do you not know, Christian, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, that we are not our own. So there should be great joy in every Christian's heart because we don't need to build a physical temple. We are the temple of the living God. Christians, we are the place where He wants to fill uniquely His presence. We are the people He wants to put His name on, as Acts eleven twenty six, the name of Christ Himself. We are the unique place for God to have sacrifice in and worship Listen to what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. The sacrifices are a whole lot different because Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. His blood really did wash away sins. It really truly was accepted by the Father. So now, 
The sacrifice we offer is a different one. We're not killing sheep here. We're not killing goats. There's no more shedding of blood because Jesus' blood is sufficient. Now the sacrifice we give is our lives. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is yours and my spiritual sacrifice. We are a living sacrifice. Our bodies, um, we need to worship God with all of our hearts, all of our bodies. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that the testing you may discern what is God's will, what is God's good, perfect, and acceptable will. Orangewood, we're the presence of God to this generation. Orangewood, we are God's family. Orangewood, we're to be the aroma of Christ. Orangewood, we're to be a story of God's love to this world. We're here to tell His love story. And we got to make sure that we build our lives, build this church on the right foundation. How is it with you? Are you truly building your life upon Christ the solid rock? Are you taking good care of that temple? Well, how do we do it? We set our hearts on God's agenda. That's what Ezra did. I love what he says. Ezra, this priest of the Lord, says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to study God's Word because it's living and active and it's useful. I'm going to do God's Word and I'm going to teach it. Each one of us has to examine our lives. Are you studying God's Word? It's interesting, I gave this man, uh, Man in the Mirror, uh, Pat Morley's book. We're going to go through it together, the man who's wrestling with his faith. I said, hey, why don't we read through John? Do you have a Bible? No, can you, can you get one for me? I said, I'd be happy to. How about you? Do you have a Bible? Where is it in your life? Are you studying God's Word like Ezra? We feel we're here to equip you. Are you coming to Equipping Center class? Are you coming to WIC, Band of Brothers? God has given us His Word. It's useful. It's living and active. Let's each and every one of us, maybe just, for some of you, it might be just starting in the book of John and just trying to plow through it or reading a proverb a day. There's 31. But know that we are God's temple. We're to be filled with His knowledge of our God, the aroma of our God. We have to know who He is. But not just studying it, but do it. James 1.22 says that we should be not just hearers of the Word, but doers as well unbelievably, when Jesus came into this dark world, he says, I'm the light of the world. I'm going to drive out darkness. And when he ascended to his Father's right hand, he gave us the Holy Spirit, and now he says, now you are the light of the world. You're my presence. You tell my story, but you do it by walking your talk. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. And lastly, teaching God's word. It's not just for me or the elders. It's for each one of you to teach God's Word. How do we do that? By being imitators of Christ. By living in a certain way. And I just want to give you one piece of hope. You don't have to be Jesus. You don't have to be perfect. As a matter of fact, if you were, it'd be a hypocritical lie. Your friends and your neighbors and your family and even you, God's not calling you to live Jesus is life. He's calling you to be in love with Him. This is how we're to live God's Word, Orangewood. We're to repent and believe. We're to confess that we're broken sinners. Studying His Word and applying it to our lives. But acknowledging that we need Jesus. Listen, here's the good news. We don't have to be 
Something we're not. The world craves the love of God and they crave authenticity. And that's all we have to do is say, God, we're broken. Would you come and heal us? Would you forgive us? We should be a community of faith that's quick to repent with one another and with God and to believe.